God is good all the time. That's the time God is good. Let's do it with a little more gusto. God is good all the time. That's right. And it's very powerful to be amongst the congregation at Harrisburg and to see the things that they are journeying through in their lives and to hear them say that with gusto on Sunday morning. Uh, it causes you to pause and think, wow, I'm not sure if I was in their circumstances, I would be saying that. Sometimes we get titles, and boy, it really throws us. Right, Mike? <laughs> so what I was saying was, in the midst of those circumstances that some of the people are journeying through in Harrisburg, I feel like I can't see all of you over there. Um, in the midst of the circumstances that they're um, traveling through, they still come in on a Sunday morning with these beautiful smiles and these hearts desiring to praise God for the goodness in their lives. And so it has been very meaningful for me to be there, to be able to come back here and share that with you. I will give you an update on some of our staffing situation. Um, most of you know that Pastor Belita, uh, the week that I began serving there, had had a stroke. She is still recovering at home, but has now progressed to going to her outpatient appointments outside of the house, and she's now been cleared to preach once a month. So that is progress for her. She is still unable to use her left hand. She has some vision issues in her left eye, so even doing computer work is, is challenging, but she is very determined, in case you don't know Belita. Uh, Reverend Ron Tilley, the director of BCM Peace, has been out um, since the end of September, uh, had been caught in separating um, some youth in an altercation and uh, ended up with severe concussions. He is now back as of this past week at 20 hours a week. Um, interim associate, Pastor Melanie Hamilton, had been juggling those bases along with my help, but now she and I are both breathing a little bit easier. <laughs> um, and Melanie, you may not recognize her name, but her father, Adam, is pastor at Stevens Hill Church of the Brethren in Elizabethtown. And uh, Melanie is at the beginning of her, she has finished her seminary work, but is uh, needing to go through licensing and ordination. Pastor Josiah, who is over in Rwanda, Africa, has now secured his tickets to return home at the end of June. Um, he and his wife will be speaking at annual conference, and then he will return to Harrisburg in July. So this is a congregation that has endured much, including some deaths of their beloved in the congregation, just in the short time that I've been there. But they are um, a congregation who bases their resilience on their faith in God. And it is a privilege to witness that. While I am here, David is covering for me, um, doing music services up there this morning. Um, very interesting. The first week I was there, I, I led my first two worship services and I preached. So they, they are into this brethren baptism thing, full immersion. 
when Adam and I spoke about uh, the season of Lent here, we talked about that he would be doing a series um, and confessing, and I saw the list, I'm like, wow, how do I choose one of those? <laughs> but I don't believe it's coincidence that I am serving in Allison Hill in the city of Harrisburg in Pennsylvania. And so I chose from that list to speak on confessing our violence. News reports seem to have multiple stories in every broadcast that involves some element of violence. You can't scroll, scroll through social media without being aware of some violent action happening. As we heard from Cindy this morning, the violence continues over in Nigeria and EYN. We will have um, Reverend Dr. Samuel Dolly with us at Harrisburg next week to share, and Rebecca is back in Nigeria for a month to speak over there and to serve. They are serving right now as international scholars and in residents at Bethany Seminary. We have a member in our congregation who lost a son to gun violence in New York City in the fall. They just this week found the killer. You log on to social media, the internet. If you're involved in social media, you put yourself at risk for cyberbullying. If you're in a school, whether you're in elementary, middle, high school, or college, you're at risk for bullying for various supposed reasons. Perhaps the way you look, perhaps the way you talk, perhaps the way you dress, perhaps just because you happen to be in a certain space at a certain time. Religious persecution, racist crimes, recently the white supremacist crime, the killing at the mosque during a time of prayer. I don't believe any of us are immune from violence. We may not have experienced a massacre shooting. We may not know somebody who has been persecuted for the color of their skin. We may or may not own a gun that has been used. We may or may not be in a home that has children who are committed to gang violence. We may or may not know somebody who has been abused in a domestic relationship, in a church situation, in a school setting, either by adults or by other children. But it is all around us, and we all have hearts that have been affected by violence. From the World Health Organization, there is a de definition for violence, and it states this. Violence is the intentional use of physical force or power, threatened or actual, against oneself, another person, or against a group or community. And this either results in or has a high likelihood of resulting in injury, death, psychological harm, maldevelopment, 
or deprivation. It is easy for us to hear the word violence today and think about gun control. It is easy for us to think about violence and think about the misdeeds of church leaders. It is easy for us to think about teachers mistreating their students. I present to you, though, that we all have decisions to make when it comes to violence in our circles, because violence begins in the heart. There are three types of violence, self-directed violence, harm to self, interpersonal violence, something that's between two people, three people, four people, and collective violence, where the system may be harming or forcing their power upon a group of people. In sociological terms, there's a model that can be used, and I think it is very useful as we, the body of Christ, look at how violence begins and how it starts. The model is called the ecological model, and it explores the relationship between an individual and the context and considers violence as the product of multiple levels of influence on behavior. There's influence on the individual. The individual is influenced by relationship. Relationship can be influenced by community, and community can be influenced by society. If we think about a positive model of that, Consider Jesus who surrounded himself with a few and then 12 and then more and they were part of the community and had then an effect on the, the greater society. In looking at violence and wanting it to stop, we must be aware of cultural norms. In some societies, violence is an okay thing. Sadly, it is very difficult to break that cycle, but we must understand it first before we can begin to intervene. So as I was thinking and researching all of these things and, and trying to determine, so what scripture do we look at this morning with regards to violence? There are many, and there are some that would cause us to question in the time of Noah, God says, I'm tired of all the violence, so now I'm going to send this incredible flood that's going to wipe out all the people. That's a hard one to digest. And as you look through the prophets, again, you see language that God would destroy in order to wipe out violence. And so there are some who would use that to justify their actions. But we must continue to move forward from the Old Testament into the New Testament to Jesus Christ. And we must look at his view on violence, his words about violence, and then further, what did his apostles walk away from, having known Jesus, having lived with Jesus. Looking at our passage in James today, 
I think we can see some things that enlighten us as to why there is violence. James says, those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? Right in that verse alone, the use of the word war makes us consider violence. But the war and the violence aren't somewhere out there. The war and the violence are within. Perhaps within individuals, perhaps within their own communities. But remember, he is writing to Christian followers of Jesus. I wonder if we look at our churches today and our denominations, is there a war within us? And where do the conflicts and disputes come from? James goes on to write, basically, you want to get something, you can't have it. So you engage in conflicts and disputes. You don't have because you don't ask, and when you do ask, you have the wrong motives. It's all about what you want and your pleasures, and not what brings honor and glory to God. You cannot be a friend to the world and a friend with God. That does not mean you cannot be loving. But when we stop everything and make it about reaching certain goals with certain people and certain systems, we've left out God. So what about this internal war? Whether it's amongst us as individuals, within us as individuals, or amongst us as a group. The, the um, 12 tribes were scattered at this time. The Jewish people were scattered. This letter was not written to just one congregation, per se. So I wonder if we might not think about some of these words when we think about violence within our heart. Fear. Anger. Power. Hate. Jealousy. Vengeance. Malice. Slander. And resentment. I am sure every one of us in this room at some time has felt at least one of those emotions. What did you do with it? Did you pursue things that would make life easier for you or according to your moral compass or did you do things that would bring honor and glory to God? Did you do things that would be a witness to the ministry of Jesus Christ and his gospel. In an older set of notes on the Bible from a website that I use, Barnes Notes on the Bible, his language is, is um, very pointed. And it makes me want to say, but no, that's not me. But I think we all need to let it digest. The desire of ill-gotten gains the love of conquest, the ambition for extended rule, 
the gratification of revenge. These and similar causes have led to all the wars that have desolated the earth. Justice, equity, the fear of God, the spirit of true religion never originated any war, but the corrupt passions of men have made the earth one great battlefield. If true religion existed among all men, there would be no more war. War always supposes that wrong has been done on one side or the other, and that one party or the other, or both, is indisposed to do right. The spirit of justice, equity, and truth, which the religion of Christ would implant in the human heart, would put an end to war forever. How many of us have desired ill-gotten gains? How many of us have loved the conquest? Who of us has the ambition to be in charge and have extended rule? Who here wants revenge and the gratification that they believe it comes, that comes with it? Wars don't start from a big thing and move inward. It starts inward and moves outward. James talks about having relationship with God. James reminds us that humility is necessary. Humility is not weakness, but humility is putting the needs of others ahead of ours. It is a type of honor. In James, he continues to pursue some of these thoughts. Not only the asking and the receiving, but he compares the way we might be looking at wanting things as being a type of adultery. We want to bristle at that. We want to scream out, no, not me. But James goes on to say, God yearns for our spirits. He wants our spirits. He is a jealous God. James is echoing the Ten Commandments. God wants our worship. He gives us grace when we humble ourselves. As long as we think we're better than or we have a better idea than, it's not likely we'll receive grace. But when we submit to God and we subject ourselves to his guidance, to his sovereignty, and we choose to obey, he gives us grace. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You see, repentance is first preceded by confession. What is it that has kept you turned away from God? What is it that you have been involved in that has perpetuated violence? What is it that you can identify and you can confess and you can turn back to God? Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts.
Right now we've been in a season where we want to wash our hands all the time in hopes of not getting sick. Have you washed your hearts so that they don't get sick? Have you allowed God to purify your heart so that they might be dedicated to him? James says, lament, mourn, weep. And I hear the fleshly side of myself saying, but you didn't kill anybody. You didn't hit anybody. You didn't abuse anybody. And then I hear God say, but how have you not prevented somebody else from being hurt or harmed? How have you supported the programs that are working to prevent that? In this section of scripture, James says, humble yourself and God will exalt. Reminds me a lot of the Sermon on the Mount. The first will be last, and the last will be first. The upside-down kingdom. Humble yourselves, and God will exalt you. The scripture from 1 Peter continues with this. It's not just about confession, but some more guidelines. We're called to have unity of spirit. And as I dove into what the original language said, these are some of the things that I came up with. Single-minded, one intent, one purpose, and as a musician, my favorite, harmonious. You can't have harmony with just one note. You need more than one note to create harmony. And there are times as you move through a piece of music where you may have four and five notes at the same time and one feels a little bit off, but it gets pulled back into the harmony as you go to the next chord or the next phrase. And then there might be a little bit of wandering again, but it, we come back to the harmony, the one-mindedness, the unity of spirit. How do we get that? Well, we have sympathy for one another. We have compassion. We have brotherly love. Now, I don't know how you get along with your siblings or did get along with your siblings. Um, I would have never described my family of six kids as brotherly love on a daily basis or sisterly love on a daily basis. In fact, my younger sister and I are probably the closest to one another. And I would describe our relationship as a love-hate relationship when we were growing up. Um, but we always knew we were family. We always knew we were part of one another. And we really did love one another. Um, but when we stepped away from home and that house, we stuck up for one another. And we protected one another. Brotherly love. A tender heart and a humble mind, First Peter continues in. We are called to be well-compassioned. That's what it means to have tender heart. Compassion, C-O-M, means with, with passion. Are you passionate about the people who are around you right now this morning? Not just the one sitting next to you. The world will see the difference that is made when we, the church, the body of Christ, have 
compassion for one another and a humble mind. Are you willing to hear the other side, the other opinion, the other thoughts? And I don't mean hear as in, yeah, I heard wah, 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 wah. No, I heard them say that this is uncomfortable for them. I heard them say this is not where I come down on this. Have you had conversations because you've been practicing humility? Do not repay evil for evil. The Old Testament law would have perpetuated that idea as a means of justice. Jesus changed that. He said, turn the other cheek and pray for your enemies. Peter writes, repay with a blessing. I wonder if there's somebody in your life that has annoyed you, angered you, um, irritated you, somebody that you could not live with. Are you willing to turn and pray for that person? Are you willing to pray, not for that person to change, but for God to change your heart towards that person? Are you willing to pray blessing upon that person? Peter also echoes this idea of turning away from evil. Do an about face. Do a U-turn. Whatever it takes. If you identify something that is contributing to violence, whether it's an attitude or an action, turn away if you're, if you're the one um, perpetuating it. Turn away and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Don't just sit and say, well, I'm a peacekeeper. I'm just going to sit here. I'm not going to cause any waves. That's not what making for peace is all about. Making is an active process. The eyes and the ears of the Lord are on the righteous those who are seeking to be holy as he is holy. He is open to their prayer. And you don't need to worry about the evil ones. That's God's job. God will do that. So what are some of the things that we can do? Well, I thought I would share with you what happens in Brethren Community Ministries in Harrisburg. I knew about some of these ministries but to see them in action is such a blessing. To see them allow people to walk in from the street not knowing whether those people will be safe or not, but because they're called to love these people with the love of God. Brethren Community Ministries has a tagline, sharing things that make for peace. And then they go on to explain that by peace, we're referring to the concept of shalom, a Hebrew term often translated as peace. It refers to the wellness, peace, justice, and prosperity of a community, not only the absence of violence. We share God's love with the whole person in the context of family, neighborhood, and faith, and community. 
life cannot be separated into spiritual, physical, emotional, intellectual, business, and social areas. God loves the whole person, seeking to bring shalom to all areas of life. For those of you who have only heard about Allison Hill um, or are not at all aware of Allison Hill, South Allison Hill neighborhood in Harrisburg is comprised of the largest concentration of low-income families between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. The crime rate there is one that Hershey, Pennsylvania doesn't know. The lack of clean housing, buildings with windows that aren't busted out and covered with plywood, trash along the streets, people going through the community aid box so they might have something to wear. This is what Allison Hill is about. This is where we get to intervene in the cultural context of people's lives. One of the most impressive things that has been part of their ministry and I think we would all do well at some level to understand this better for ourselves in our own lives. And that is their Agape Satyagraha conflict resolution training. Agape comes from the Greek word for uh, perfect love. Satyagraha is nonviolence of Gandhi. They have kids who come in once or twice a week and they are taught how to work through conflicts. Those kids that stick with it and come out of it probably can deal with conflicts better than you or I because they've done the work. Two summers ago, we sat here as a Sunday school and we talked about having dialogues. And I thought of that study a lot and said, we have dialogues about, so what are you up to? What are you doing? How's the weather? But when have we had a dialogue with two or three in this congregation. So what are your thoughts on violence? How is this peaceful congregation perpetuating violence? You probably haven't had those kind of conversations. Have you had those conversations in your family? The youth that go through the conflict resolution training, they first understand what escalates a conflict and that way they are able to begin identifying those things. Then they learn how to calm down. Distracting themselves, relaxing themselves, talking to themselves. They develop that skill. They go on to another level and they, they have um, different colors for the, these levels. But eventually they get to basic negotiation and mediation Negotiation is when two people are trying to resolve it themselves. Mediation is when you bring somebody else in to help you through that. And there are ground rules, but everybody gets heard. I think when we think of violence in our society, somebody in that situation doesn't get heard. In the abusive household, 
somebody is not being heard. In the gang violence, somebody is not being heard. In all of these situations, relationships are skewed and unable to function. The last level that the children or the kids, the teenagers go through there is about social systems and power. And so they begin to explore what it means to live in our communities, to live, be in our schools. What does that look like? And how do they treat others and how are others treating them? The other ministry that takes place in our building up there is Samara. And Samara is teaching parents how to be parents. And it's immersion and it's built on relationships. The children and their parents are together for a time and then they're also separated so that workers can play with the children, teach children how to play so that workers can um, work with the parents and teach them how to parent and how to play in hopes that in interrupting the cycle of violence and neglect, we might come closer towards peace. Where are the places that you could interrupt the cycle of violence? For me, probably the most common time that I perpetuate violence is with my attitude and my words. And I'm sure that all of us, if we examine ourselves, can probably find times when we choose to hurt somebody with our words, where we shut somebody out by not speaking to them, where we neglect to nurture the people in our lives. I am convinced that Jesus' model of a circle of few that grows in numbers, continuing to thank God and to love one another is the way to interrupt cycles of violence in our community. But it cannot just be self-contained to the people we know and the people we worship with and we live with. We need to go out into the world and proclaim and be witnesses to his gospel of peace. Just before Jesus headed to Jerusalem for his crucifixion, he lamented over the city and said, oh, that you would know the things that make for peace. I encourage you to go back through and read these stories of how Jesus preached and lived nonviolence to the point of death on a cross. I have one more story I'd like to share with you. And it's rather powerful, and I won't speak it as eloquently as my colleague Melanie did a few weeks ago. But a few years ago, Melanie spent several months in Palestine. This story was reported in BBC. There is a family there that has a farm, but they are Christian. They run summer camps for local schools. They teach the Palestinian children about nonviolence, and they encourage them to develop a love for the land by working and playing on the farm. 
This is especially important for a generation that has grown up in the refugee camps and the urban sprawl behind Israel's separation barrier. Women are trained in nonviolence as well as in traditional means of housekeeping. When military rule came in in 76, the family stayed committed to nonviolence. And they have been tested in ways that you nor I could probably ever imagine. They have orchard trees, and not so long ago, in fact, just a few years back, maybe five years ago, the army came in because they were told to get the land ready to take over, and they tore up the orchard trees, 1,500 trees, olives, peaches. The family was able to appeal in a court system and still keep their land, but they had to replant all of the trees. And the father said, I will plant more trees, and I will double the trees. And so they are waiting for those trees to grow. The military are following their orders, and they have not been successful in evicting the family by legal means, and now are trying to force them out. The Israeli authorities in the West Bank insist that by destroying this orchard and posting demolition orders on the tent of nations, they are simply enforcing the regulations. We are not intimidating the family. Now, I'm not sure that the physical force and power it took to uproot all those trees is not intimidating the family. That was my side note. We are not doing any of those steps in order to make the family leave. We are enforcing the law. How many times do we justify violence because we're enforcing a law? So this has gone on. What is most notable, and it still continues, is that outside at the end of their lane, this family has a rock that says in three languages, we refuse to be enemies. And the soldiers, if they lay their guns down at that rock, are invited in to have tea with the family. If somebody came and destroyed your livelihood, would you invite them in for tea? It is something to pause and think about. And maybe you're not ready to take that step yet. I do believe, though, in your bulletin, there is a prayer attributed to Francis of Assisi, though in further research, maybe not. Nonetheless, we know it is the peace prayer. I'd like you to consider this prayer. and consider the statements that are underneath it. Confessing violence means accepting that as individuals and a community, we do have an impact. Confessing violence means admitting that our individual attitudes and our actions can be displeasing to God and harmful to others. 
As followers of Jesus Christ, we believe that Jesus lived nonviolence. Are you living nonviolence in your everyday relationships? When the crazy person on the road irritates you, are you saying, Jesus loves you and I'm trying? Is your life an active, not passive, reflection and witness to the love of God in Jesus? Are you loving who you might consider to be your enemies? And maybe we use the words like, that person's annoying, that person gets on my nerves. Okay? Are you living love towards that person? As I read the peace prayer, consider what area of your life in which you haven't promoted the peace of Jesus. And I encourage you to use this prayer throughout this week. I believe that there is probably at least one line in this prayer that will speak to you. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We'll take a few moments of silence before we sing our last hymn so that you might consider if you would like to write something on the black piece of paper found in your bulletin and to bring it up to the cross at the end of the service.